0: Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska, by Pastor John Rasmussen. So today we're talking about uh, how you are saved to serve in the church church. And uh, we've been talking about in this sermon series how you have been saved by grace alone, right? We've got that. Ephesians chapter 2, that's the whole message of the the New Testament. You have been saved by free grace alone, uh, a costly grace that came at the expense of the life of God's Son. And that grace, even though it's free, it calls you into service to other people. And today we're going to take a look at how that grace translates into service to To uh, your own church. And we're going to talk about two different ways that we can approach service in the church. Uh, Two different ways that we can strive to do ministry in the congregation. One is the more popular one, but not so biblical. And the other is a little bit less popular, but it is more biblical. And we're going to see that at work in Acts chapter 1, or chapter 6, rather. So has anybody ever heard of the Leadville 100 run? Raise your hand if you heard of this. It's a absolute insanity. As I describe it, you will see how just completely insane this is. So yes, this is a 100-mile run. And it's not done by multiple people. It's done solo. One person runs 100 miles. And it's also in the elevation of Colorado uh, nonetheless. So we're talking like between 6,000 all the way up to 12,000 elevation, up and down, right? One person running. Uh, Maybe you see sometimes on the back of cars those little stickers that say 26.2, and you might have been impressed. Well, you know, have you ever seen a 100 sticker? (laughs) That's impressive, right? Uh, It's borderline insane. In fact, uh, are you surprised that a lot of people don't finish? In fact, the majority of people that start out on this race, even though they train for it, they don't finish. In fact, people have died. I mean, of course, if you're going to have somebody run 100 miles, there is maybe a chance that somebody might die. Uh, It's insane. And if you complete this race, if you win, you get a belt buckle. And, and it's pretty big. It's like this big. And, and you wear that belt buckle with pride. I mean, that's an accomplishment. And people give you respect, right, because you have completed this race. Now, compare that with another race, uh, not 100 miles, but 200 miles. But it's 200 miles shared between 12 people. Uh, this is the Ragnar Reach the Beach race uh, up in New Hampshire. I've been a uh, Privileged to do this three times. It's my kind of race. I'm never going to run 100 miles, uh, but I do like this kind of race because it's shared between 12 people. So you got 12 people, uh, two vans, and uh, about 200 miles. You start uh, at the base of Mount Washington at Brenton Woods, and then you run all the way down past uh, scenic New England towns, Lake Winnipesaukee, all the way down to Hampton Beach right north of, of Boston. So it's a really great race, uh, not just because of the scenery, but because it's split up by 12 people. And uh, some people will run maybe three miles. Some people will run 10 miles. Uh, uh, They run three times each. Uh, Some people will run as much as 13 miles over the course of 30 hours. Some people will run as much as 20-something. But it's really a race for everybody. It's a race where people may not even really be into running, but they jump in the van and do it. In fact, uh, the person who organized our race for us didn't even really like running, but he thought it would be a good thing for us to do as friends together. Uh, So what I love about this race is that unlike the Leadville race, this is not a solo project. It's something that we do together. It's something that's done as teamwork, camaraderie, uh, that we're able to accomplish something when we work together, when we encourage each other and split up the work. Now, which one sounds better, the Leadville 100 or running 200 miles split up between 12 people? Obvious answer, right? Uh, But let's apply this to ministry. Uh, So God has given us a finish line, a goal, that we are called to accomplish. And that goal is given to us in Matthew chapter 28. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, commanding them to observe all that I have given. And uh, that is a mission that extends to the ends of the earth until the end of time, until Christ returns. So that is our objective. Now, there's two ways of approaching this. And, and churches have approached this mission in two different ways typically. Number one is to say, let's just have the ministry professionals do it. Let's just have the pastors do it. Let's just have the, the, the ministry people do it. But a better way, a more biblical way, unlike the Leadville 100 where one person runs all by themselves, is to do it together, to do it shared. And that's what we're going to take a look at today. We saw a little bit of this model in uh, Exodus chapter 18, remember Moses? Moses is kind of running the Leadville 100 all by himself, and he doesn't even know it. He's probably tired, exhausted, and and so his father-in-law, Jethro, comes to him and says, what are you doing? You need help. And so that leads to breaking up the work of ministry to those uh, who would assist Moses. But we see it most clearly in Acts chapter 6. So, let's take a look at Acts chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can open that up uh, as we go through that together, Acts chapter 6. So, it begins like this. It says, now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, so a pretty positive beginning, right, a positive opening chapter, Uh, God had granted growth and vibrancy to the church Uh, after the days of Pentecost. 3,000 people are saved on that first day of Pentecost. 2,000 are then added in chapter 4, and the, the church is exploding in growth. More people are coming to know the grace of God. So, that's a really good thing, but with growth sometimes comes problems, issues, difficulties. And so, it's not long that we have a complaint It says, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. You're probably wondering, who in the world are the Hellenists? Uh, The Hellenists were the Greek-speaking Jews. Uh, They did not necessarily grow up in uh, that area. Maybe they were from someplace in the Mediterranean or the Mideast. And they spoke Greek, and they had Greek culture, and then they moved uh, in later years to Jerusalem, uh, maybe because they wanted to die and be buried in that holy place. But um, there was sometimes some tension between the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew-speaking Jews uh, because there was different language, different uh, culture. So sometimes the Hebrew-speaking Jews would even treat uh, the Greek-speaking Jews as second-class citizens. You know, you're not real Jews, you're just kind of almost there. And so sadly, it may be that this even happened in the early church. So in the church, you have uh, these two different cultures, two different languages, and maybe this was a factor in some of the widows getting passed up in the daily distribution of food. Now this daily distribution of food goes back to Acts chapter 2. Remember Acts chapter 2 where all the believers were together and they shared all things in common and nobody had a need? They saw the implications of the gospel that God has saved us to serve, and so they were serving one another by taking care of tangible physical needs like food. And in the ancient world, since widows were so vulnerable, they made it a priority to serve these widows to make sure they had enough to eat uh, because there wasn't social security back then. But it just so happened that some of these widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Somebody was dropping the ball. Now we don't know if this was intentional, uh, if it was kind of um, related to these cultural and language differences, or we don't know if maybe this was a result of the growth that was happening. You know, With growth comes drop balls. It could have actually been both, but either way, there was a complaint Now, this wasn't just any complaint, this was a complaint that very well could have divided the church. I mean, if you look at churches that are divided or have even broken into separate congregations, it usually starts with a complaint, right? Now, this complaint could have become infected, right? And it could have broken up the unity of the church. You could have even had a Greek-speaking church and then also then a Hebrew-speaking church. They could have just divided rather than maintain unity. And I think the disciples know that the stakes are really high here. And so what they do is they gather together the full number of the disciples. They, they have a congregational meeting uh, is what they do. They get everybody together, and they address this problem. They address the problem because they know that caring for the widows is important. And, and if the Greek-speaking widows are neglected, that's not a good thing. They need to address this. And not only that, they are careful to preserve the unity of the church. Now, what I love about this story is I love how it's an opportunity because a lot of times complaints or drop balls become an opportunity for just offense, right? People just get mad and they get bitter or maybe they just leave. But here we see how the Holy Spirit uses a complaint as an opportunity for growth, as an opportunity for unity to be strengthened and preserved, as an opportunity for people in the church to serve one another in love. So they get together and they address this problem, and this is what the uh, apostles say. They say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, why do you think they said this? Here's what I think. Although it's not uh, recorded in Acts, I have a feeling that when they got this congregational meeting together, that somebody raised their hand and said, I know how we can fix this problem. Let's just have the apostles do it they're committed to the ministry, they can go out and do this daily visitation of these Greek-speaking widows. In fact, it might be a good move to strengthen that relationship with these Greek-speaking widows. But notice how the apostles are careful to set up a boundary about what they will do and what they won't do. And they're not doing this just to preserve their own well-being so that they won't be burnt out and overburdened. They're doing this so that they might preserve the ministry of the Word of God. It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Now, what's not going on here is the apostles are not saying, you know, that work of visiting the widows and distributing food, that's, that's below us. That's not what the apostles are saying. They're not saying that that work is any less important. They're just saying that they have been been given a specific task uh, as they strive to reach the finish line and that that task is also then to be shared by the people of God because the Holy Spirit is at work in the people of God to do the work of God. So this is what they do. They say, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute Full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So, once again, do you see how they are preserving that calling? They're going to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word, and they're going to give this task, then, this very important task, to capable people within the church. Now, this is really important. Because imagine this scenario with me. Let's imagine, wouldn't it be sad if the Apostle John's sermons started to get kind of dry and repetitive because he was so spread thin, running here and there every day, trying to make sure that all these needs are taken care of. Wouldn't that be kind of a tragic thing? And and wouldn't it be really sad if the Apostle James didn't have time to evangelize some of the leading people in the city because, once again, he was running left and right trying to put out fires and address complaints? And wouldn't it be really tragic if the Apostle Peter was suffering from chronic problems in his marriage and his wife never saw him because Peter was always out doing the work of ministry rather than sharing it? Wouldn't it be really sad and tragic if in the Ragnar Relay Race two people ran the whole 200 miles while everybody else just sat in the van and maybe they even encouraged them, right? They they held out some Gatorade out the window and said, "Yeah, you're doing it. Great job." And isn't that the way that sometimes churches approach ministry? That we'll say, "Yeah, you know, we love that our pastors and ministry professionals are so committed, and we're cheering for them." We're clapping for them. We're handing them a cup of cool water out the window, but we're sitting in the van, and we're not running to. The apostles are giving us a much better biblical model where we're all sharing in this work together, where we're addressing the needs of ministry together, where we're all participating and running the race together. Now, what's really neat here is the end result. Do you see what happens? It says, and the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Isn't that cool? Because that's how the chapter began, right? The chapter began with growth, and then something threatened that growth, and that was a fractured unity, that maybe this complaint might fester and break up the unity of the church, and, you know, if people in a relay race are arguing with each other instead of running, are they progressing towards the finish line? No. And so once again, we see how the Word of God goes out. It expands and grows because there's unity. But, but also think of it this way. What if the apostles would have said, you know what, we'll take on this ministry. We'll do it. We'll do it. We're committed. Maybe the Word of God might have increased for a time, but then it would get stagnant. As number one, the apostles get weary and burnt out and tired and frustrated, or maybe they're making snap decisions under pressure instead of under the patient leadership of the Holy Spirit. But also, wouldn't it be sad if these seven people who were appointed to this task had their gifts not used? Wouldn't it be sad if these seven who were appointed to this ministry were, were uh, underdeveloped, right, if they didn't have the opportunity to serve? You know, maybe the Word of God would have, would have spread momentarily, but we're thinking long-term here, right? The long-term health of the church depends not on just a few doing much, but on all of us doing much together. You're able to run uh, 200 miles together instead of 100 miles by yourself. So I want us to think about how this applies to us as a church I would say that in the, in the last couple years and even in this moment, our focus as a church has really been on filling staff vacancies. That's what we've been focused on. You know, we need to make sure that we have a, a pastor, a, a senior pastor, an associate pastor, and we continue to try to make sure that we're filling vacancies so we have a good, strong staff team. And while that is important and it deserves a lot of our thought and careful prayer and work, it's important, right? I would say it's actually not necessarily the most important thing. I would say the most important thing for us as the body of Christ is the individual need in front of us. We as the people of God who the Holy Spirit is at work in, seeing the need in front of us and responding to that need. I I think that's where it's at because, you know... um, There's changes in pastors, you know, you might have a pastor for a certain amount of years or maybe for a long time, or there's uh, changes here and there, but what remains steady is the people of God, right? And the Holy Spirit is at work in the people of God to do the work of ministry. We need to remember this. Uh, Pastor Tim and I had a chance to do an interview with Pastor Gerard Bowling of uh, Bethlehem Lutheran Church in St. Louis. He was on our podcast uh, back in June, and there's a phrase that they use at their church that has stuck with me. It's less selfie, more servy. That's kind of a thing that they say to each other, you know, less selfie, more servy. Uh, He's not talking about taking selfies, but rather, you know, less about me and more about the need, right? Less about maybe a complaint and more about how do we address that complaint as the people of God? Less selfie, more servy. That is really the pattern of the Christian life because we are responding always to the need that Jesus saw and met for us. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay down His life, to give His life as a ransom for many. Uh, the Son of God saw the greatest need of all in us, our sin, in our death, and our brokenness. And He came and He addressed that need. He washed our feet. He laid down His life for us. He died and rose again. To meet that need in us forever, and so you and I have had our biggest need met forever through Jesus. And because you and I have our biggest need ever met in Jesus, we are now free to look at all the smaller needs in front of us, to see those needs and respond to those needs. Less selfie, right? More servy. One of the things I really love about the, uh, the Ragnar Relay Race is this, is that uh, the way it finishes. If somebody's running a marathon or like the Leadville 100, you finish alone and you get all the glory. You're the hero who crosses the finish line alone. But the way the Ragnar Relay Race goes is that the last mile or so is run by all the participants. We all do it together. We all run together. We're all sore together, right? We cross that finish line together. And that is a beautiful picture of the way that we're called to do ministry in the church, that we do it together. We strive after the finish line together. Nobody's sitting the bench. Like Pastor Tim said last week, everybody's essential. Everybody is a vital, crucial member of the body. We do it together. In fact, even the The way that the uh, medals are given at the end of the race uh, reflects this teamwork. Uh, So I got a medal for completing the race. But what I love about this medal is that this medal only really makes sense when you put it together with the 11 other medals uh, that go with it. Uh, it's not an individual medal. In fact, you can't uh, read the message there unless you put all the pieces together. So at the end of the race, uh, in, in the sand of the beach there, we all got, all got together with our medals and put the puzzle together so we could read the message uh, that, you know, together we accomplished uh, 200 or so miles together. That's a picture of how we do ministry. We do it together. It's not a belt buckle thing, Right? It's an all-together thing. We all share in it together. We all rejoice in it together. It makes me think of what Paul says about the body of Christ, that you have many members, and all those members are essential. All those members are gifted in the Spirit for individual things, and we come together to fulfill the mission that God has given us to do. As we close today, I want to share with you a, a... a story about what this looks like in this church. Uh, one of the things that I've seen at Holy Cross is that we just have really capable lay people in this church. And, and that's so cool to see that we have people in our church who just want to find a need and address it and take care of it. And an example of this is uh, this women's coffee group uh, that uh, would meet uh, weekly to have coffee And so they'd have coffee together, and that in and of itself is a good thing because it's a picture of the life together we have as Christians, a picture of the community that we have together. They got together as Christian sisters in Christ to share fellowship and coffee, but then they saw a need. And the need was the many Holy Cross members who were living at uh, Brookdale, Northridge, uh, assisted living here in Kearney. Now, they could have seen that need and just assumed that, well, I'm sure the pastors and elders will visit those people. I mean, that's what they're supposed to do, right? Except when they saw this need, they decided to respond to the need, to own that need and say, we can do this. The Holy Spirit is at work in us, the people of God, to do the work of God, so let's do it. And so this coffee group turned into a coffee and devotion group at Brookdale Northridge. These ladies would gather once a week and have coffee and devotions with the members of the body of Christ there at Northridge who were not able to come to church. I mean, what a tangible way of, of serving people, of just saying, hey, let's hang out, let's be together, let's share company, Christian fellowship. And then not only that, then they arrange for a communion service. Uh, where they would all gather together in the chapel and one of the pastors would show up and celebrate the Lord's Supper with all those people. I was amazed the first time that I was ever able to participate in this. I think you were too, Pastor Tim. Uh, we had never seen something like this. It was so neat to see uh, all the members of this coffee group go out and find the, the, the residents and bring them together, uh, some of them in wheelchairs, bring them together into that chapel room. They had it all set up. They even had a bag of cookies for everybody. And uh, everything was ready. All we had to do as pastors was just show up and have church. It was a beautiful picture of the way the people of God can work together to do the ministry God's given us to do. And and as I think about the future of Holy Cross, my prayer to God is more of that. (laughs) More of that. Let's just do more of that. Let's see a need. Let's meet a need. Let's see a need and get together and figure out how do we meet that need, whether it be a need in this church or a need in the community. And so what I want us to reflect on as a church is what need do you see? Or maybe even what complaint might you see or have? How might God be handing you some responsibility, some service in that area? You know, what's interesting about our text is that some scholars think that it may be the very people who were complaining about the uh, lack of distribution of the food to the Greek widows, it may have been those very people who were complaining who were then appointed to service. Isn't that interesting? That's possible because they all have Greek names, names like Philip and Stephen. Those are Greek names. And so it may be that they saw a need. They brought the complaint to the apostles, and then they were given the task of serving in that area. What need do you see it might be as, as simple as you know writing a note of encouragement to somebody who's discouraged. It might be as simple as you finding three to five people in our church that you know are kinda lonely right now, maybe at a nursing home and calling them up and just spending some time listening to them. Don't just assume that other people will do it. Perhaps God is calling you to do it. It might be coming to our confirmation uh, service or our confirmation group on Wednesday nights and just sitting and learning with some of our confirmation students. It, it, it might be volunteering uh, to be an adult presence on Wednesday evenings or on Sunday mornings. There's plenty of needs and God has called you and he has equipped you as the people of God to respond to those needs and to serve as you have been fully served and loved in Jesus Christ. Amen.